what do you think? Would this make a good like car ad? I think Ferrari wanted this as a uh, <laughs> inclusion. No, uh, I've heard recently that Ferrari has started to ban people from being allowed to buy their cars. Oh yeah, Bieber got banned, right? Yeah, they're taking objection to the way that certain people act, and I think uh, after watching this movie, Cameron Diaz would definitely be banned from buying a Ferrari. Should have banned everyone who made this movie. <laughs> Ridley <laughs> yeah, Scott, the screenwriter, whoever was in charge of acquiring cars for the movie. Just yeah, yeah, they're them all. They're all banned. No Ferraris for them. I don't even know. How do you even think of something like that? How do you come up with a sex scene involving a woman in a windshield? Yeah. I don't yeah, Cormac McCarthy. How do you come up with that? Is that the writer of Yeah, this? man. Yeah. Cormac McCarthy wrote this screenplay and just fucking... All I know is I will never look at a car the same way again. <laughs> this is it. Welcome uh, to Bad Movies and Beer. I'm Cooper. And I'm Nolan. And today, by special request, we are talking about The Counselor. Ridley Scott's star-studded what-the-fuck-of-a-movie. It's just so weird. <laughs> Yeah, I really thought this was going to be sort of like a court drama. Sounds like it, right? Yeah. Yeah. The Harrison Ford here. has to like defend some kid or something. I don't know. Yeah, no, this is not that. Yeah, the naming convention here did not fit. It is really a cartel and drug kind of movie. Yeah, uh, with a, just a huge amount of infused sexuality. It seems very... Excess? Is it a commentary on excess? Maybe. It, uh, it seems very existential. Right, like we, it seems like we're trying to get a lot of comments on the way people live, and and it almost seems, and we'll talk about this more, that there's an argument here for going back to your like animal instincts. Bottom line, uh, I don't know what it means. I did, it was not what I expected, and I'm sure the person who requested it felt the same way. We actually have the story behind this. This was requested by our good friend Brian. He took his now wife to see this before they were married in theaters. And uh, that must have just made for a very awkward drive home, I would imagine. <laughs> My understanding is that he had to fight to go see this. She wanted to see a different movie. Oh, no. And uh, he he's really fought for it. He said, look at the cast. Yeah. Look at the director. <laughs> involved, this thing yeah. is going to be great. Only for it to open with some cunnilingus and to... <laughs> and as, it escalates from there, as we said. Yeah, have yeah. a woman, have sex with a windshield. Uh, yeah, there's so much in this that would have made someone uh, probably cringe on an early date with their future partner. I mean, she still married him, so it must not have done irreparable damage, but uh, he probably wasn't allowed to pick movies for a while after that. I yeah, I was going to say, he, he got a year <laughs> ban from movie choices, I think, for sure. God damn. Uh, I think he was saying to us that uh, at the end of the movie, uh, the whole audience was just sort of in a collective what-the-fuck moment, which is yeah. hilarious. I, I love it when you're in a theater with a whole bunch of people and you're having the same reactions it makes the best comedies right when that kind of stuff but it also makes horror and all those other movies but it's hilarious that there was a collective like what the fuck did we just watch well what you're describing is exactly why i hope that theaters never go away because you know there's a big push for like everything's streaming now you can watch stuff from your home but the communal experience of going to a theater and having the reactions and like connecting with strangers in that way it really adds to the experience at least for me i don't know about you know no i think absolutely i think Part of this podcast that's really enjoyable is getting to watch these ridiculous movies together because our reactions probably influence the way that we feel about those movies too, right? Oh, 100%. Yeah. Theaters forever. Physical media forever. And, uh, you know. I love that PSA. Brian and his wife forever. Yeah, <laughs> still, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Hopefully if they can survive the cancer. They can survive anything. So we're going to talk about it. We're going to drink some beer while we do. Uh, every week we try and find a beer that pairs with the movie. And what do we have this week, Noel? So this one's going to be a little hard for people to understand. It'll be clearer as we go through the movie, but 
We're going to be drinking cheetah. Cheetah beer. Yeah. Now, <laughs> I don't know if you've ever had cheetah beer or not. I have almost only ever had it when I go to an Indian restaurant. Yeah, I thought it food. was an Indian beer, but it's not. Apparently. No, no, it's not. So it's actually a Canadian company, um, but they designed the beer to be drank with spicy food. So the goal was to make a beer that was uh, like delicious to go with eating spicy food. And in particular, their thought was that it would go with Indian food. Uh, so we got two of them here today, which is even more exciting than one. We've got the traditional lager, uh, and then we also have a mango lager that we're going to yeah, we're gonna see how that goes. But okay. uh, I'm looking forward to drinking this again. I've definitely had the traditional cheetah before. I never have. This is a new one for Ooh, me. So, so this is the yeah. first drink for you. So we're going to see. And you are kind of our lager connoisseur, so I'm, yes, I'm interested I'm very to excited. See, yeah. uh, see your opinion on this. And I'm excited to try that mango one, which I haven't. But uh, let's get into this one. Sure. Why not? So we open with a shot of some windmills just outside of El Paso, Texas. A motorcycle races by, and from there we meet the counselor. It's Michael Fassbender, and he's in bed with Penelope Cruz. We can't tell it's them right away, though, because they're hidden under the sheets, like completely under. We just see these kind of like white, curvy outlines. It looks kind of like two ghosts fighting. <laughs> it, it's definitely an attempt to create something artistic here because the camera kind of comes in from a blowing curtain in a window right they're trying to set the tone really quickly as one of very artsy and erotic oh yeah now he's rocking an american accent for this movie for some reason and he wants to use it for some dirty talk he asks her what she wants him to do and she basically tells him to mo but then when he goes to she's like wait 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 i think i i should go tidy up i don't want you to He's nasty. <laughs> also, who wrote this script? I mean, it's Cormac McCarthy. We know that now, but that was my thought at the time. Was like, who wrote this? It's yeah. terrible. How is this happening? The yeah, the interchange between them is really bad. Like, yeah. there's a lot of attempts to get real sexy, and we're gonna get him going down on her and get some moaning in a second. But he makes like a weird, crude, like her p's wet joke. Oh yeah, sopping is the phrase he uses. Yeah, and you're just sort of like he's like, how did that happen? And I'm like, what's <laughs> happening here? Why are we? <laughs> This. So then, we're, we're like three minutes into this movie. I, at what point do you think Brian started getting nervous? This point, yeah, <laughs> it did not take long for him oh to be God, like, "What man. the fuck have I done? What are we into here?" I yeah. guarantee there were moments during this scene for sure where he and his partner both had their hands covering their eyes, or just like staring straight ahead, not looking at each other. Oh yeah, no know. conversation for sure. Or or maybe one of them was staring with. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what movie is this? Yeah. Well, oh my goodness. I'm pretty sure at the end of this scene, she says that uh, he has ruined uh, lovemaking for her uh, and any other person. It's the highest compliment you can receive from yeah. a lover. Yeah. From there, we are into the credits. And all I could think of looking at this cast was A, how the hell did Ridley Scott manage to fuck this up? And B, how many agents got fired because of this movie? Over under 2.5. What do you think? Oh, definitely over. <laughs> all right. Definitely over. Unless they share an agent. Oh, I see. Yeah, right? I see what you're yeah. saying. Yeah. I mean, they probably would have all fired that one agent. Someone who was behind the creation of this definitely ate a lot of shit, I'm sure. Sure. Now, this is also where we get our first cheetah sighting, as one inexplicably runs alongside a woman on horseback but doesn't attack her or the horse. And I was like, is this a pet cheetah? Short answer, yes. 
we're five minutes into this thing and I'm already wondering what the hell is going on. Yeah, shit's pretty confusing here, right? Yeah. This is um, kind of a choppy introduction to all the characters who we're going to meet throughout this film. We also cut in between the introductions of these people to a truck being filled with shit. Yeah, literal shit. Yeah, but also figurative <laughs> shit. That's how they smuggle the drugs. There's drugs yeah, coming. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and so it's at this point that I'm like, hmm, we've already been given signs that we're on like an American-Mexican border. Now we're seeing a drug truck. This is not about courtroom drama. It's not a courtroom yeah. drama, no. <laughs> it's about where it's clicking in for me. Yeah, so after the credits wrap up, we zero in on Javier Bardem, who mixes a couple of martinis for himself and Cameron Diaz while they take in the beautiful sunset with their two pet cheetahs. That's right, I guess they bought a pair, it was like a discount or something, I don't know. So appropriate that we're drinking not one, but two cheetah beers now. Although it didn't make sense probably to people why we were drinking cheetah beer with the Counselor movie, if you see it, it definitely does. Two cheetahs. Oh, and there's not the last two we're going to see, there's more, there's so many cheetah references. Uh, She's lost in thought about someone from her past, but she makes it clear that she doesn't miss them, because missing something means hoping it'll come back. Javier Bardem says, You don't think that's a bit cold? I think truth has no temperature. You think Cole McCarthy <laughs> high-fived himself on that one or oh what? Oh, my God. I think there are several moments in this movie where Cormac McCarthy was just j***ing himself off, thinking <laughs> he has done the best job, yeah. um, and he didn't. Like, it, it's nope. brutal. Um, they're very clear to also show you in this scene, like the clothing that Cameron Diaz is wearing. And her tattoo. Reveals a cheetah tattoo. Cheetah print tattoo yeah. right along her body. This kind of felt like a breakup scene to me, but I guess she was just showing him who's got the bigger d- Yeah, her character is, I mean, obviously they're trying to depict her as cold and sort of like cunning, and that's happening really quickly in this film. They're showing her being very much about seeking her own desire and pleasure. Yeah, it's about her gratification. From there, we're off to Amsterdam, where Michael Fassbender meets with an elderly diamond merchant. He's there to buy an engagement ring, and we're there to learn about the history of diamond grading. We get fucking like five minutes on what the different cuts are and stuff. I was like, God damn, man. Like, it was strange, too, because they didn't, like, it was clear that they had a relationship. Like, they knew each other. Um, but we don't know much about the counselor or anything that's happening, right? Like, we never even learned his name. They just called him the counselor the whole time. Yeah, so we're trying to figure out why does this guy know about diamonds, and we've seen, like, there's some drug shipping stuff. And so maybe they're trying to show you a little bit that he might have a bit of a shady past. Well, he doesn't know anything about diamonds though. The guy's telling him, he's asking all these questions about diamonds. Although he does kind of seem like he knows more than he's letting on. Yeah. And he knows this guy. Like I, like you, you don't travel to Amsterdam to talk to your guy unless you've like dealt with him or had kind of relationship before. I think. No, definitely. Once he presumably finishes his business there, he's off to a meeting at Javier Bardem's place. The two of them are cooking up something illegal, and it sounds awfully risky. But we don't get the details until after Javier Bardem tells him all about how women work. They get down to business here, and Javier Bardem explains to him that going down this road will have severe consequences if something goes wrong. He even outlines a particular type of murder device called the bolito that, presumably, could end up around the counselor's neck if he doesn't come through. Uh, imagine if he had actually talked about it here and there was just no movie. <laughs> like, wouldn't that be uh, way better? There is a lot of foreshadowing in this movie. Like, just an extreme oh, tons, amount. Dude, to, yeah. to a obnoxious amount, actually. There were points uh, in this movie that I was literally, like, groaning or yelling at the screen because so much of what is said in these long-winded conversations that are, in my opinion, not very well written, that come true, right? And so... Yeah. You know when he's talking about this device, right? This sort of murder device that oh, the we're cartel sees it. that we're yeah. going to see something coming this is up. The Chekhov's right? gun of this movie, and then also the conversations about women. I was going to ask you how, 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 how did you how did you feel about his depiction of women? 
it was almost so dry and boring that I it was more of one of those things that I just rolled my eyes at the screen. I I didn't even like I didn't get on my kind of uh, what do they call it when you stand at soapbox? High I, horse, I didn't yeah. get on my high horse or my soapbox. I just sort of rolled my eyes excessively at screen while this was happening because yeah, there's some real bullshit conversations. Yeah, I thought you wouldn't yeah. like that part. No, no. They're, they're garbage. His style, the way they make him look in this movie, Bardem, yeah, yeah. is pretty hilarious. Like. I, I like it. I he's got, listen, <laughs> we're gonna get into this later, but he's got something. He's got like a charisma, and I really oh, yeah. dig it. He's yeah. really, really all in. He's got this uh, like hilarious spiky hair, he's he's, blown back hairstyle. Yeah, yeah. flashy clothes. Yeah, and a flashy place. Tan, right? tan as fuck. He's so tan. Yeah, there's always a party around him in his yeah. house when they're meeting too. That's like, what you do when you're crazy rich. I guess when you just sort of in a drug trade and you run clubs, that's sort of what you do. But. Yeah. It was it was interesting. Like it was funny to see that character, right? Fun to meet him for sure. Now it's time for a dinner date at a restaurant that for some reason also has a cheetah in it. There's a fucking live cheetah just sitting there on like a podium in this restaurant. Are cheetahs like abundant along the US Mexico border or something? Where are they fucking coming from? I was really confused why the cheetah was at this restaurant. Yes. Like to me, that scene where they had the cheetahs and they were there together just made them seem like wealthy people who have like exotic pets. Yeah. Yeah. But with it at the restaurant, I don't understand. I don't right. Either. And I mean, yeah. I think again, it's just more foreshadowing. I really think yeah. they were just trying to work in as much cheetah reference as possible. Um, as we get towards the end or what oh, I yeah. what I assume to be the message of this film. Right? Oh, I agree, yeah. for sure. Now, the counselor pops the question here, and is it my imagination, or is he coming off really creepy? Like, he calls her a glory, which she also finds weird. I, I don't know, man. Something about Fassbender here, I, I don't know. It's a really, really lame proposal. For mm-hmm. someone who has all kinds of money and wealth and other things, and if they bring each other that much joy, it it was a strange kind of muted and not very effective conversation. Unlike the conversation that she has the next day with Cameron Diaz, who comes off like more than a little bit intimidating, Cameron Diaz here kind of pushes her around. And uh, does she have a gold tooth? Is that what I'm seeing? Yeah. And it's like bejeweled or something? This yeah. is so fucking weird. Her character in this movie, I, I, I think she probably had a lot of fun playing this role. Well, why not? Sure. Right? Like yeah. she got to lean in really hard to this like very extreme woman. Um, it's she was definitely intentionally trying to make Penelope Cruz uncomfortable, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, we learn in this scene that Penelope Cruz is kind of a like conservative-ish, yeah, raised in the church kind of woman. Yeah, they are not the same species, and I use that term literally. Yeah, 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 and it fits with sort of what's going on here. And then she starts prodding her about sex, and then she starts talking about what she tells the priest when she goes to confession. Yeah, which we get a little taste of that later too. <laughs> my God, uh, hey, guess what? That highly illegal and extremely dangerous business deal from earlier. Turns out it's a drug deal, like we said, and the counselor is in. Basically, he's going to get the drugs across the border where they will be sold for a huge profit, and Brad Pitt is going to help him do it. Nice to see Brad Pitt playing a cool guy for once. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a good departure from what he normally does. Uh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> this is funny where he is definitely leaning into this sort of like sleazy business person character. He's fairly like cowboy-esque and like traditional Brad Pitt he really leans into it he's just it's the same role he plays in everything he's just doing Brad Pitt stuff and well and it almost felt to me like a lot of the conversations in this movie fit with just things that Brad Pitt does in movies like it it, it almost felt like they had a movie where they wanted Brad Pitt to be a sleazy businessman yeah and then just wrote everything else around it or they were like, Brad, how do you want to say these lines what do you want the lines to be Yeah, yeah well and the movie is kind of choppy it's in lots of different places they're sort of piecing together what's happening at this point 
And already I'm kind of like, this is a really bad attempt at trying to make a thoughtful movie. Oh, they're trying so hard for that, yeah. Just trying so, so hard. I'm getting the feeling like they have some other movies or concepts in mind that they're trying to kind of model off of. And it's just falling a little bit flat. Like, I guess it's the writing, probably. Yes. Well, maybe the the direction a little bit, too, but yeah. It almost seems like they're trying to be Tarantino-esque or, like, take from some other movies that have a lot of, like, interactions between people that try to be existential, and those conversations just are not working. They're trying to be a lot more clever than they are, is what it is. Um, And, yeah, so Brad Pitt in this scene also gives the counselor uh, warnings about the business you're getting into, cryptic at first, then a little bit more explicit. Hey, remember that motorcycle guy from the first shot of the movie? He's back, and apparently he lives in, like, an airplane hangar? Who is this mysterious man? I mean, we get an answer in our next scene, which takes place in the women's prison, where the counselor meets with his client, Rosie Perez. Turns out the motorcycle guy is her son, and he got busted for going slightly over the speed limit. (laughs) Just a little bit. Yeah, like, what, 217 miles per hour or something insane? 206, and the counselor's reaction when he hears this is actually kind of funny. 206. Yeah. That's not a speed. That's somebody's weight or time of day. This uh, <laughs> yeah, this accent that Rosie Perez is doing, I'm sure it's supposed to be Mexican, but because of her regular accent, there are times where it sounds more like Russian. Yeah. Really weird. This is a kind of a, a strange scene, and I think it's impactful in the movie, but, I mean, he seems to be her, like, counselor. This is the first... Yeah, this court is appointed, the fir- he says. Yeah, yeah, this is the first time we're seeing him actually acting as a lawyer, um, and he's trying to help her in her parole board appointment so that she can maybe get out of prison right but it really becomes more about her son yes she very much wants him out of jail and the counselor agrees to pay the speeding fine even though when we saw him he wasn't in jail but whatever we see this kid again shortly afterwards he's making a deal of his own with an older guy but what he doesn't realize is that he's being watched by two people who report back to cameron diaz there's shenanigans happening here yeah, so it seems like they are not all working on the same team. You would think that Cameron Diaz, whose partner seems to be Javier Bardem, they, you think they would be working together in this drug deal. Oh, no, but hang on. In his conversation with women earlier, he basically tells the counselor, he's like, I'm out of my league here. She's, you know, I can't control her. More foreshadowing. Oh, tons, yeah, for <laughs> sure. Yeah. But yeah, so she's definitely got something going in the background trying to... Uh, Get her hands on the money, and how <laughs> we're going to find out soon that that's not going to turn out well for everyone else. Yeah. Literally yeah. everyone. Yeah. Yeah. The next time we see the counselor, he's having lunch with Penelope Cruz at like a polo grounds or something when an old client spots him and approaches the table to warn her about what a dick the counselor is. Then it's time to head to confession with Cameron Diaz, only she isn't actually Catholic. She's pretty much like just there to fuck with the priest. Yeah, yeah. She is literally just there for sport. She's there to have fun and an F with the priest. There are a ton of sex conversations in this movie. It would be very hard to watch this with your parents. Uh... I mean, yes. Imagine walking out of the theater, that car ride home, and trying to have a conversation about what you just saw. Like when you and your dad saw Species too. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) With what we did, the look straight ahead, don't look at each other thing, right? Yeah. yeah. That's definitely what we did on that one. So, yeah, she's just messing with this priest. Like, we get it. She's bad. But you might be asking yourself, is she bad enough to f a car? The answer is yes. And now you might be asking yourself, how does a woman f a car? She can't stick her d in the gas tank or whatever. Well, as uh, as Javier Bardem explains, she climbed up on the windshield, did a full butterfly split. She used to be a dancer, see, and then basically grinded her on the windshield until she and they show it. I mean, we don't see her, but she's up there on the windshield. All right. I kept waiting for her to ask him to turn the wipers on. So they'd 
<laughs> I'm serious, man. I thought that was good. Um, it was interesting. I think when if you told someone that she was going to have sex with a car, you would picture a gear shift, right? That I think makes that's, so much more sense. Right? I went right to the wipers, but a gear shift makes a lot more sense. Yeah, yeah, I think that's what you would picture. But the way they show it is she's in a small dress. She climbs up on the hood and pulls it up. And then, yeah, you get a shot from almost above where she is spread eagle on there. It's funny him telling the story of this happening to <laughs> Oh my Fassbender. god. Dude. Yeah, his his description of this is haunting. What he yes. said was You know, he was like one of those catfish things. One of those bottom feeders you see going out the side of the aquarium, sucking his way up the glass. God damn, man. What the <laughs> fuck is going on well, in Cormac McCarthy's head? And this blows up his like kind of will to like have sex like he doesn't understand anymore he's just kind of fucked up about it like i mean he's still going to have sex but he yeah. can't even drive that car anymore without picturing that on the windshield well and he said it wasn't it wasn't particularly sexy i think he referred to it as like gynecological like, he was <laughs> yeah. just there shocked and you know, but strangely the most strange part of this the counselor seems oddly unimpressed by this in fact, pretty much the only thing he says is, does this have anything to do with the deal? I'm like, how do you not take more away from that story? Well, even just to take away that uh, this is clearly a power move for her, right? Like this is her showing her dominance over him, right, in this move. It, yeah. She didn't involve him in it at all. She wasn't even interested in him like helping or supporting or like any of his pleasure. She just uh, fucked the windshield. That's exactly right. And, I think, yeah. Yeah, made him watch like a glass bottom boat ride. <laughs> That's not the same thing. <laughs> Similar. Uh, yeah, but I all I could think about was what the fuck is going on in Cormac McCarthy's head. And speaking of heads, we get a short aside here where one of those guys, Cameron Diaz, sent to spy on the motorcyclist, sets up a decapitation trap that severs the guy's head clean off. But as Rosie Perez jerks up out of her prison sleep, we learn that it was all a dream. Or not, as apparently this really did happen, but because she's his mom, she can just like sense that he's dead. Yeah, that was kind of weird. They were just, I think, trying to make the connection for the audience that there were going to be consequences for this happening, right? So it turns out that Cameron Diaz has devised a way to, yeah, kill Rosie Perez's son, who was, in fact, the one who was coordinating the drop-off. He of was, the yeah, he was supposed to get the shipment or something. Yeah, yeah, so he was supposed to be the one doing that for Fassbender at all, right? Also, he goes by the handle, the Green Hornet, yeah. which has to be, like, trademark infringement. Yeah, like where, you know. that's strange. Um the people who like decapitate him, the guy who does it, like very um, thoughtful about making this trap. But what I don't understand is they set a trap across a road and then wait for a long time and nothing drives through. Yeah, nothing drives by, yeah. Right? Like know. if a single vehicle or anything came by, that would have shut down that trap. Tractor trailer that snaps that yeah. wire right away. Yeah, I don't yeah, know. no problem. It was interesting. It's a know. movie. We're watching yeah, a movie. We just have to let it go. Yeah. yeah, especially in a movie like this. Well, either way, so much for that guy. Now, after a couple of quick scenes, one of the counselors talking to Penelope Cruz on the phone and one of that decapitator stealing a truck, Brad Pitt calls the counselor to tell him that they have a problem. He basically explains what happened with the motorcyclist and how he was actually working for their new business associates, that the shipment is missing, I guess that's what was in the truck, and that the business associates want answers. And the only thing they have is that the motorcyclist was a client of the counselor. So this has gone about as bad as possible. Yeah, so he has, like, through happenstance, now been connected to the person who was murdered. Because he paid the fine and got him out of jail. Ooh. Yeah, the cartel uh, not going to be happy about this, and neither is Rosie Perez. Mm -mm. She also blames him for this, so things are not looking good for Fassbender right now. Not just Fassbender, for everyone. Brad Pitt sure seems like he's going to cut and run. 
and he urges the counselor to do the same. So the counselor tosses his phone, then uses the fact that he's handsome to borrow a phone to call Penelope Cruz and tell her to get home and wait for him. Only, what are the chances that she would just answer some random number? Now, none. Back in 2013, maybe a little bit more. I don't think so. I think people were screening back then. Some random, like, who's this? No. But, yeah, he gets a hold of her. And from there, we see that guy who set up the decapitation trap in his stolen truck getting pulled over by what looks like cops, but is actually members of the cartel. A brief shootout ensues, and as you would expect, the guy with the Uzi wins. So the cartel has reclaimed their shipment, and the counselor frantically tries to work on his next move with Javier Bardem. What they don't realize, though, is that Cameron Diaz is listening in on all of this. She's bugged them. Sure has. And uh, so she's kind of got the upper hand on all of this, right? She's been the one who's coordinated this killing. She knows that shit's going to go down. She knows the cartel is going to come after them. It's funny the depictions we get of the drug cartels in Hollywood. Like, there's a lot of good movies. I just, I always wonder what they would feel about these depictions or whether they're truthful or not. I was like, it'd be kind of hilarious if these cartels were like, why do we keep getting depicted like these awful people? <laughs> we're just trying to make a living. I don't know, man. Read the news. I think they're probably yeah, pretty they're probably doing all this shit. Yeah, 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 yeah. Not to say anything bad about the fine folks that work for drug cartels. <laughs> I, don't, I don't want any You don't want any heat. Yeah. Nope. Next, we get a scene where the counselor and Penelope Cruz debate the merits of Boise, Idaho. Specifically, they're looking for a place they can meet up because she's scared. The counselor is very apologetic, but he has really fucked things up. And what I wrote at the time was, if I were a betting man, I don't think he's going to be making it to Boise. Yeah, I mean, it's starting to unravel really, really quickly here. It actually felt strange how long it took for Fassbender and everyone else to get a move on. If this went down and you knew how serious it was, I think I would have been moving a little bit faster to get the fuck out of there. Oh, I agree 100%. He takes his time, which is really strange. Now it's time for a state of the relationship talk with Cameron Diaz and Javier Bardem, which is really just an excuse to work in trailer-made dialogue like, Greed really takes you to the edge, doesn't it? That's not what greed does. That's what greed is. And when the dust settles, she makes it clear that she will not be there when this shit goes bad. This scene is a prime example of we talked about how this movie works so hard to seem better than it is. Oh yeah. It, it is all about trying to set up a clever ending and a finish that shows the true nature of humans, I think. And it's really not coming across well. I like that you called it trailer bait. There is a lot of those moments in this movie. Yeah, I mean, I haven't watched trailer, but I have to assume that some of those lines are in it. Um, so uh, the next time we see Javier Bardem, he's out for a ride with his cheetahs when he spots a series of black SUVs approaching him from all directions. So not good. He tries to get away, but ends up running his car off the road and then getting shot in the ass, cheek, and brain. So he's dead, and I guess there are now just two cheetahs on the loose. Yeah, they just run out and go. This was kind of weird to me, because I know that we'd had that scene earlier where Cameron Diaz had said that she's sort of cutting and running, she's not caring, but it really seemed like she cared more about those cheetahs than she did about him. I don't understand why she left them with him. Maybe she didn't know it was going to happen right then, you know, but uh, no, she really does love those cheetahs. The counselor, meanwhile, is spiraling here. He tries calling Brad Pitt, but no help there. And I must admit I was wrong, as he does, in fact, make it to Boise. It's Penelope Cruz who doesn't, as the cartel grabs her at the airport. So now the counselor is really in trouble, and he makes the only play he has left. He contacts a friend of his who works for the cartel and tries to cut a deal. And great news. It turns out they're actually very reasonable people who totally understand what happened. They agree to release Penelope Cruz, and the movie ends with her and the counselor getting married. No, I'm kidding. Actually, they cut her head off and make a snuff film of it. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, we get a whole bunch of scenes here where he even heads to Mexico, right, to try to barter this deal. 
and it's not going well. Um, <laughs> no. Not at all. Um, and they're showing like sort of these gritty like breakdown moments for Fassbender. And yeah, Penelope Cruz gets her fucking head cut off after yeah. <laughs> getting murdered and had sex with, I guess. I oh, I didn't think about that last part, but maybe. Well, that's the snuff film. And then this is... Well, no, a snuff film can just be murder. I don't think a snuff film has to have sex also. Does it? I no. think so. I think I think it is a like sex act and then murder. No, no. I thought it was called a snuff film because you snuff out the person's life. Not that you necessarily rape them and then oh, do that. I thought there was a sex act. If you act are a involved. manufacturer or viewer of snuff films and you're listening to this podcast, can you please contact send a us correction? Us yeah, just send a correction on Instagram. I'm sure that That'll go over but well. only the correction. Please don't send anything oh else. Oh, God, no. no. Um, nope. So this is another one that was previewed. There was a conversation between Brad Pitt and Fassbender. About, about films, yeah. And you're just like, so now you know that each and every one of those conversations is leading to an eventual It's all coming true, murder, for right? sure. Yeah. Now, we find out all this about Penelope Cruz later, though, after a couple more quick scenes. One where Cameron Diaz is still making moves, and one where John Leguizamo explains how the cartel smuggles dead bodies or travelers across the border as a way of making them disappear. This felt more than a little bit fillerish to me. Yeah, I don't really understand. I guess they were showing that the drugs did make it to Chicago where they were intended originally, but the talk about the like dead body and then going to see it was strange. Like John Leguizamo is an entertaining like character actor. Yeah, oh, great actor, right? yeah. Um, but it was a strange, didn't feel like it was necessary scene. No, I mean, we could have found out the drugs made in Chicago by having someone tell Cameron Diaz the drugs made in Chicago. We didn't need to see that part. That I was just filler. felt like it was less intended to be filler and more of like another jerk-off session for the writers. This is another one where they're Dutch ruddering and high-fiving each other. Well, as it's it's, it's Cormac McCarthy Dutch ruddering yeah. himself. It's just him. It's just him? Yeah, he's yeah. two-handing it. <laughs> uh, what does not feel like filler is our next scene where the counselor gets a higher-ranking cartel guy on the phone and again tries to plead for Penelope Cruz's life. The cartel guy quotes some poetry and explains that the events which the counselor himself set in motion cannot be undone. He also asks if the counselor loves her enough to trade places with her, and this is where we get the Michael Fassbender Oscar reel. Yes! Yes, damn you! <laughs> he goes from zero to 100 here. All of a sudden, he's crying and slobbering. Oh, just so much crying through this section <laughs> yeah. of the film. Yeah. It's just so awful. I, I really hated this part of the movie where it's just Fassbender. I mean, I guess this is more effective for the cartel than actually murdering him because they're torturing his the spirit. Him. Yeah, breaking him down. This was um, his fucking version of... Uh, Michael Cutler is my boy. <laughs> so, so emotional. Oh, yes, it, damn yes. you, yes. It definitely is. This is the Phantom of the Paradise shouting at the screen. Yeah. 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 Oh, well, uh, none of this is going to do any good, though. They won't let him trade his life for hers. So why even ask? Why even ask if he's willing to do just to fuck with him? Yeah. I mean, maybe, because I guess, you know, as he's hanging up, the cartel guy also says he might take a nap later, which I think is like a subtle dig. Oh, absolutely. We're learning definitely not to mess with the cartel in this movie. Who would ever want to? Anyway, we're off to London next, which is where Brad Pitt has decided to hide out. But Cameron Diaz is two steps ahead of him as she sends Marjorie Tyrell from Game of Thrones to seduce and betray him. Also, his character is Canadian? Well, what? I mean... What they threw that in there well, for? I think he might have just had a Canadian passport. Like, I don't think that he was necessarily Canadian. I think right. that was just one of the passports. I fucking that he hope had. not. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> he'd certainly raise our National Handsome Index. That's a, that's a fucking statistic. Uh, that comes later, of course, the betrayal. But first, we see the counselor bottoming out. He's passed out in some shithole Mexican bar with a creased up picture of Penelope Cruz in his hand. And even though the bartender warns him not to go out into the streets at night, and I'm pretty sure we hear gunshots in the background, he's like, fuck it, and just wanders out there. And he does, in fact, make it back to his hotel. That journey didn't seem too dangerous. 
Yeah, no, there were just some people staring at him, looking like they would have murdered him. He was at some weird, like, protest slash, like, shrine thing he walks through. It's all just kind of trying to set um, mood for him falling apart here. I guess so. Now, next, we get what is maybe the best scene in this movie. Brad Pitt leaves his hotel, blissfully unaware that the lady he banged last night is giving Cameron Diaz all of his personal information. Like, literally all of it. Account number, social security number, password. How the hell did she get all of that? You have like written on a piece of paper in his wallet or something. Who tells a one night stand their password? I guess she's really convincing. Uh, what I was surprised was they didn't like talk about all of the sexual stuff they did. Because Brad Pitt doesn't need to talk about it. Yeah. I just felt like that's what would happen in this uh, in the movie based on what's happened so far. But yeah, so she gets all of his information. So they don't really need him anymore. No, they don't. And as he's walking down the street, a jogger approaching him from behind slips something over his head as he runs by. Turns out it's the famous bolito that Javier Bardem was talking about at the beginning of the movie, and it immediately begins tightening around his neck. It's like a fucking garrote wire that like tightens itself. This causes Brad Pitt to drop his briefcase, which another jogger heading the other direction picks up. Good timing there. And we spend the next minute or so watching Brad Pitt frantically try to fight this thing off, which we already know isn't possible. And sure enough, it severs his fingers, cuts into his neck, and he ends up sprawled out in a giant pool of his own blood. God damn. As tons of people just sit there and watch. To be fair, they're British, they're right? British so it's like, you know. All go yeah, down. I yeah. say, what's around that gentleman's neck? Oh. <laughs> you uh, were... Sorry, old boy. Quite a bit of blood there. Oh. <laughs> That's a terrible. I, don't, I can't do a British accent. <laughs> <laughs> oh man I apologize it's funny too because as soon as it happens he knows what's happening and then the next minute as he's like trying to fight it but also dying he just screams fuck you or he's very mad about fuck it you. Yeah. Fuck, well, you. He, he knows. fuck you fuck you like, there's nothing else yeah. he can do so it's just a whole bunch of angry fuck yous um, yeah it's interesting I don't know what you would do in that last moment if you knew it was over I know what you'd do you try to find the nearest fucking like pliers wire cutters yeah, mechanic, run into, run into yeah. a room where's the maintenance room something yeah. but like you know don't yeah. just sit on a street just cursing and yeah what your parents get cut off so Cameron Diaz has got her money it looks like she's gonna live happily ever after but the counselor not so much this is when he gets a package delivered to his hotel room when he opens it up he finds a dvd with the word hola written on it he knows what that means it's the aforementioned snuff film uh he doesn't watch it but in case there was any doubt we immediately see Penelope Cruz's headless body getting dumped in a landfill Bad times. Yeah, it's a weird... I thought that shot of the body getting dumped in the landfill was unnecessary. Like, they had to show you that her body was there. I wondered if they had not done that in other cuts, and then people would watch it and been like, so what happened to the woman? Well, this is kind of what... You mentioned uh, Brian's response to the ending of this movie. At the end, which we're very close to, they kind of leave like certain things up in the air, and if maybe they hadn't done that, you'd be left with more questions than answers. Um, not that we aren't still left with more questions than answers, but whatever. We get one more Cheetah reference here, and it is a lengthy one. As Cameron Diaz meets her banker, pops a bottle of champagne, and fires off a monologue about the majesty of the cheetah and the elegance of how they kill. The hunter has grace, beauty, a purity of heart to be found nowhere else. You can make no distinction between what they are and what they do. And what they do is kill. They might as well just had a giant sign flashing behind her that says, it's a metaphor. She's exactly like the cheetah. They're just beating you over the head with it. Yeah. Like, we get it. She's a predator. It's not at all subtle. Like, not no. even close. And they spend a lot of time zoomed in on her cheetah tattoo as she's going through this diatribe. And you're like, well, here's the very, very clear message of the film. It was excessive. 
and she's gonna walk off and I guess and be okay and get away with the money is kind of what they're suggesting. Yeah. But we we don't really know. But we also don't really know what happens to the council. Like we know they're gonna the cartel's gonna kill him, but like we don't see it. The movie just ends right here and it's like, well, what about the main character? I don't even think they will kill him. Like I think they've done what they wanted. They just oh, destroyed no, they're his life. Him. You think he's done? Yes. Why? <laughs> they don't like to leave loose ends. What's he gonna do? The guy's got he nothing. Knows left. Things. Well, but they, they ruined his life, I guess. And wouldn't it be more like Oh, to make him suffer. To make him suffer and leave him, but you just think it's easier to be like, well, he might kill himself. Like, you know, well, maybe that's their cut back to the hotel room when he's hanging from a fucking noose. I wouldn't have been surprised. Uh, So that's it, man. We're into the credits, and this just would have been a fucking terrible date movie. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my. Just an awful choice. Oh, Brian. (laughs) Yeah, it has to be one of the possible, like, worst date movies you can think of. Oh, it's tough, man. Uh, Can you think of worse movies to go on a date with someone? Well, here's why I think this is especially bad. The car scene in particular, like, how do you deal with that? If you're a woman on that date with a man, you have to wonder at the very least whether or not he knew about that scene ahead of time, right? And then that opens the door to all kinds of other questions. Did he think I would like this? Does he want me to do this? And I'm 100% sure that for Brian, the answer to all three of those questions was no. But either way, that's got to be an awkward drive home. (laughs) And just the tone and mood of it is so vicious, right? Like, it's just so dark. It is not positive. You're not leaving that, like, hoping to have a, like, happy night together. No. Like, that is sort of like, we're just all going to go home and reflect on how horrible humans are. We just saw, like, the most likable. Well, okay, that's actually a good question. Who do you think is the most likable character in this movie? Probably Javier Bardem. Oh, that's exactly what I was going to say. Right? Penelope Cruz doesn't do anything wrong. She's very innocent, and seeing her headless corpse turned into a thing is traumatic. But yeah. yet the only person I felt bad for in this movie was Javier Bardem's character. Like, sure, he's into some bad shit, but I just thought that dude was really likable. I think that's fair. I think there was no malice from him, right? Like, he he wasn't trying to... He was, he was trying to, obviously, do things that were illegal, but... Like, he just wanted to open fun clubs and have fun with people and have a fun life with people. Yeah, we don't see him doing anything cruel to no, anyone. there's no cruelty in him. But where, at the same time, he knows. He's like, I can't. This woman's going to kill me. And she does. Like, that's what happens. Yeah, yeah, he knows that he's over his head for sure, yeah. Now, Fastbender, on the other hand, he just didn't do it for me here. Like, I don't think it was the accident, although that could have been a part of it. I don't know. I just wish his part had been played by someone else. Yeah, I think that that is a fair question. I'm wondering who would be better. Like, when you ask that, I'm wondering. Billy Zane. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> okay, but you know, here's a, here's a serious one. Here's a serious one. Here's a serious one. Uh, For the record, I would absolutely love yeah, to see Billy Zane. Yeah. No, a serious one. Ben Affleck. Ben Affleck. I feel like Ben Affleck as the counselor mm. could have conveyed more. I don't know. I didn't take Fassbender as a like legit lawyer. No. Seriously. Like, I never thought. like Because they tried to make it so that he was, this is his first foray into something that was criminal. And in the whole time, I was just sort of like, no, this guy is shady all along, right? Like, I never felt like he wasn't. And I, there was something about their relationship that I didn't buy as well. Him and Penelope Cruz? Yeah. I, I struggled with the way that looked. He felt like it, he was her bad boy rather than her love of her life kind well, of Well, and Javier Bardem talks about women, like, wanting to change men and whether whatever. Maybe she thought, you know, she can bring him kind of back to the light or something. Or maybe he just lied to her so well that she actually, oh, no, but no, but she kind of knew. She knew he was up to something because when he calls her and tells her, she's like, she's like how bad is it? So she must have known he was into she some shit. She knew he was right. And that's yeah. why I didn't feel as bad for her as I felt for Javier Bardem. Guys, he's out there trying to live his life. Um, <laughs> I anyway. mean, I think I felt worse for the way that she ended than he ended. But uh, well, getting yeah. shot in the ass and head is a lot quicker than being put into a snuff film. They weren't even trying to kill him. They were going like, to take him alive. They were supposed to, but yeah. fucked up. I mean, they, they were going to take him alive to then kill him in a worse way, probably in a snuff film way, but, you know. Yeah, so, right. in a way, I guess it's a blessing, <laughs> so, but either way. Uh, so, uh, it sounds like we should just get into our ratings now because we're basically running through stuff we liked and didn't like. So, 
the way that we do our ratings, it's the same every time. We rate it on a scale of one to 10. We do it twice. One to 10 for how bad it is. One to 10 for how enjoyable it is. And the goal is to find movies that are 10 out of 10 bad or what we call the Crit 20. And for me, this movie is pretty bad, but I don't quite have it as a 10. There's a little too much um, like technical craft in here for me to give it the full 10. They're like, there are some beautiful, beautiful shots in this and cinematography is really great. The cast is obviously like full of strong actors. This is a gross misappropriation of the amount of money and talent involved in this movie. Like someone fucked up. Uh, it was the script though. The script was just like too much for me. Not just some of the ridiculous choices. Like the dialogue is fucking rough, man. So yeah, I've got it as a nine. It's bad. Like it's just so weird. And uh, again, script had me more than what it was. That's how I felt. What did you think? Yeah, I think that those are good points. I, after watching it, definitely sat and reflected for a while, right? It was one of those movies that had you think, which, I mean, we're going to get into the other rating after. I always think that that's kind of good. Um, but I agree in that, like, my biggest problems with it were how awesome or existential they tried to make it feel, right? Yeah. Like, they, it almost felt like someone who was trying to punch above their weight in terms of content and intelligence. Um, I liked the music and the scenery and the sound and everything came off and was well edited and was really clean, like you said. And that's when you have, yeah, professionals in all of those spaces. This is clearly a major budget film. And so it's hard to be super critical of it. It really all came down to the writing for me. And it was a really big struggle. Some of the discussions of sexuality were like, I watched it alone, so it was Save fine. Save your enjoyment rating for yeah, after. Well, no, I would have been uncomfortable <laughs> depending on who I watched it with. I could have seen uh, people having difficulty with it. But in some ways, I, I also found it problematic that they're willing to be graphic in talk but not in show. Right? Like it almost felt like one of those movies that this would have been a better movie if they were able to go NC-17. Um, I mean, they showed Cameron Diaz hump a car, dude. Like, I guess so. What are you, what are you looking for here? I don't know, the catfish uh, shot. I don't oh, dude, come on. <laughs> I, don't, I don't really want that, I guess. But I just, I don't know. I, I felt weird. I thought that was, I felt it was slow at times too. And I also found there was no likable characters. Like there was, other than, other than Javier Bardem's character, everyone else, you, there was no one to connect to, right? Okay. And so that all kind of made me feel, I guess that's sort of a bounce of both. But I had it as a nine bad as well. Well, there you go. We're yeah. totally in sync. Now, how enjoyable on a scale of one to 10 did you find it? <laughs> I don't like going first here. Um, but that's okay. I can uh, go first if you want. No, no, I don't mind going first. Um, we literally just said the opposite of that. You don't like going first here. Which one is it? <laughs> I can go first if you want. Do you want me to All go right, first? Let's do it. Yeah. I found this fairly entertaining. Like the fact that it's weird, uh, it sort of drew me in that way. There's action. Uh, again, the Bardem performance and some others. I think I'm going to watch this again. Uh, mm. in fact, I have this as an eight enjoyable, and I'm going to say this now. With less artsy dialogue, I think I would be at a nine. And if you had someone else in the Fastbender role, I think I might have this as a 10. Holy There's shit. There's something here, man. Honestly, like I, the whole time, I was entertained the whole time. And part of it was the what the fuck is going on. And part of it was me laughing, imagining uh, Brian on a date, just like sitting there awkwardly. <laughs> but like, no, man, like this, like I, there was a lot in this that I enjoyed very much. And so I, yeah, I'm at an eight. And with uh, a less pretentious script, Different actor in the lead role. I could be as high as a 10. I'm going to watch this again. Wow. That's me, man. What do you think? Holy shit. Um, so I do really like movies that are like intentionally taking directions that you wouldn't expect. 
And I, I like that part of this. Um, I thought it did make me think. It did make me reflect after the movie uh, about what had happened. Um, I liked uh, it had a pretty hot start, both like in bed and in the way that they introduced all of the characters. I liked how that went. Um, a lot of the people in the roles, I really enjoyed the choices they made. So I, I think I might watch it again only because I would want to see if I recognize more hints that they dropped that I didn't see the first time, right? It's one of those movies where that might happen. I like you. I wish some of the conversations were a little bit faster, a little bit less like patting yourself on the back as a writer. Yep. But I had it down not too far from you. I had it as a seven enjoy. Well, there you go. Real close again. We've yeah. had a couple weeks this I season know. where we're real close. We're, we're kind of on the same page here. It's funny because it, it definitely makes you uncomfortable. It, some of the things are, I don't know, I just thought too laid out for you the mm-hmm. way that it felt. But it is definitely kind of movie that makes you want to watch through it. Now, would I want to take someone there on a date? <laughs> no, sir. Absolutely not. This would not be my choice. I would rather go see Sweet November 10 out of oh, 10 times. God damn it. All right. <laughs> but hey, you know what? For for our podcast, great recommendation, great oh, request. Yeah. So thank you, Brian, for that. Really appreciate it. So before we talk about next week's movie, our last one of the season, what did you think about this beer? Um, I think it was... Good. I think I would. Oh, that was a long pause. I know. I've I've had this, and I think it's better when you eat it with food or you drink it with food. Mm. Like I really, really liked it when I had it with Indian food. Um, right now, while we're podcasting, it's kind of hard to eat Indian. Um, yeah, it's a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> and I would have liked it better if I was consuming it there. I I think I like the mango one more than the traditional. Oh God, I'm the exact opposite. It's not a fan. I preferred the regular one, but I agree with what you're saying. I think better with food as like a standalone beer. There's just better options out there. Perhaps if you're eating the food, it was like designed to go with something better, but I didn't like, I didn't dislike it. No, no, it's not a bad beer. And I, and I have enjoyed it when I've had it with food. I think it, it's probably one that cuts spice nice, right? Like when you have some hot food and you throw that in your mouth, it just cuts that burn on your tongue and it's perfect. So if you are looking to eat some spicy food and want to find a beer that pairs well with it, Cheetah is definitely a recommendation. Yeah, no, you know what? There you go. If you're going to order some Indian food, don't hesitate to grab a Cheetah or two. Go for a pair like Javier Bardem and Cameron Diaz did. And, you know, <laughs> It'll cut that spice nicely. So that'll do it for The Counselor. But next week is our final episode of the season. And I got to tell you, we are watching just an absolute classic of an 80s movie that i believe that you have never seen and we're going to correct that error next week we are watching roadhouse (laughs) no i have never seen roadhouse um who does the star patrick swayze oh that's right okay as legendary bar bouncer or cooler dalton so this is a movie about a i assume the roadhouse is a large bar with lots of good dancing and party and drinking and he's the one who keeps that place working it's a little it's like i think it's outside of kansas city missouri it's a little country-ish but yeah he's he's the one who steps in to straighten that place out he's legendary cooler (laughs) (laughs) he's a huge name in the the cooler world i'm excited for this i don't know i didn't know that uh being a cooler or bouncer could lead to such fame but uh i'm excited to see i've heard that this is a very fun movie oh my god it's so much fun we're gonna have a great time with that and uh hopefully everyone will join us and have a great time as well uh that will be next week between now and then if you have not already please follow us on social media twitter instagram at the bmb podcast If you have any comments, if you'd like to give us any feedback, or if you have any suggestions for movies and or beers, feel free to send them to those social media accounts or an email at thebmbpodcast at gmail.com. Yeah, we're starting to think about season three, so, uh, you know, 
Give us a request. We'll watch it for you. We'll, we'll give our thoughts. Uh, but that's going to do it for this week. I'm Cooper. And I'm Nolan. We'll see you next time on Bad Movies and Beer. Keep it glassy. Like they're aquarium. <laughs> like you said. Oh, I Sin is a choice. <laughs>